0: I'm Jake Miller from the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at
1: edupodcastnetwork.com.
0: Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Nancy E. Head, and she's the author of Restoring the Shattered, Illustrating Christ's Love Through the Church in One Accord. It's the story of Nancy's journey through single motherhood and poverty that depicts a family's passage from shattered to restored. Lots of painful lessons, inspiring. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. (laughs)
1: You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now, here's Steve with this
0: week's show. Today, I'm talking with Nancy E. Head. She is the author of Restoring the Shattered. Written in an easy-to-understand conversational style, Restoring the Shattered is an account of Nancy E. Head's journey through single motherhood and poverty. The permanent divide between her and her husband led to a shattering of their family as the children settled into separate camps. The story begins when Nancy and her children have little to eat. Through a miraculous intervention, God provides and leads them along their way. Other interventions and more guidance came from people of different denominations, illustrating Christ's love through the larger church. Nancy notes, I was a single mother with five children under the age of 14. We endured hard days, what I call the lean years. Yes, there were programs to help, but in many ways, those programs were designed to make us permanent fixtures in an impersonal system. They were designed to make us stand still in life. She continues, but another factor made all the difference for us. It was the ministry we received from Christians of various faith traditions, because needs aren't always material. A welfare check doesn't heal the kinds of wounds divorce and poverty cause, but the love of Christ does. This type of ministry doesn't make you stand still in life. Instead, it lifts you to a new place. It doesn't just provide it encourages, it brings healing. And it showed me that the church is bigger than I thought. Nancy continues on, during, during our years of need, Christians encouraged me as I earned a bachelor's degree in English at Penn State and was elected to Phi Beta Kappa. Encouragement continues as I embarked on a career in journalism and later turned to a career in teaching, which has included two summers in China. I earned my master's degree from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Currently, I am an instructor at Penn State Altoona and Great Commission Schools. When not teaching or writing, I restore antique quilts, craft projects for my grandchildren, and help my husband lead a small group at our church devoted to ministering to the needy in our community. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Say hi to everyone.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, glad you're here. When the description of the book says that it's easy to read, it is not lying. (laughs) It's not (laughs) exaggerated. It's very easy to read. And I, and, uh, Um, Just as a note, you want to continue reading, which I think is really cool. So uh, uh, kudos on how well Well, it's written. thank you so much. uh, You know, before we get into your book, Nancy, I I understand that you're an AP teacher. What do you like about teaching kids?
1: Well, it's interesting that you should ask me that today. Wouldn't it be funny if somebody asked you that on your worst day?
0: Oh, no. (laughs) But no,
1: somebody asked me that on a really good day. I had a student who did some extra research and made a connection between something she learned in her world philosophy class and what she picked up on while we were reading 1984. And rather than pointing it out to everyone, I asked her, she was very excited about this and she's explaining it to me and she's talking about structuralism and all this and how, how it fits in with 1984. And so I let her present this to the class and and one girl said, "Oh yeah," and, and we you know, so in the same class together. And and the beauty of it was that the discussion was great. And after class, I was gathering up all of my things, and the kids were out in the hall. And I went out, and three of them were standing there, still discussing all this this connection in the book and with the administrator of the school. Uh-oh. they're explaining yes yeah, so, so the passion that some of these kids bring in and, and the other thing is that I have two kids in my class this year without the passion we walked in at the beginning of the year not real passionate not excited but kind of a little by the by the toss of the dice of the schedule stuck in my class and you know oh, I'm going to have to work harder to be placement and uh And one of them, what we did at the beginning of the year, we did the Toastmasters leadership program. And this kid who's not a fan of writing his ideas down on paper, just loves standing up and telling everyone what his ideas are. Nice. And he's very engaged. Another student about the beginning of school realizing he's not very engaged. But when I teach AP language, is AP English language and composition every other year? Next year, it'll be literature. 11th and 12th graders in there together. I always ask them in line class, What's your passion? What is the thing that you dream of doing? And if you, what are you going to study next year in college or the year after that in college? And this kid is interested in agriculture. Not, not a terribly, desperately unusual thing in central Pennsylvania, for I don't think the kid lives on a farm. I don't, I don't know where he quite got this. So I handed handed him a copy of Wendell Berry, whose discussion of uh, modern farming dates back many years, involves poetry, novels, and nonfiction. And it's very interesting that that we have been able to engage him. There was a quite, I don't remember the question the other day. It was a question about farming. Oh, it was a question about um, global warming and uh, planting seasons. And if you are harvesting in June, when would you have to plant? Well, he's the only one in the room that would have a clue. and it was it was it's great to just draw in these kids who aren't real passionate and then to light the flames in the kids who already are passionate. So that's what I just love about teaching. going in there. I come out as excited as the kids are sometimes, and I always feel good walking down the steps, feeling like. I've enriched them, I've engaged them, and they're thinking. And when these are kids generally bring something to class, there's the kid who's really interested in politics and listens to this radio program or that one. And the, the kid who's um, really interested in literature, she wants to be an attorney. She, she bemoaned to her mother when she was 12 years old that everybody else at school knows what they want to be and I don't. Why can't there be a job where you can speak up for people who are really hurting or who, who've who had bad things happen to them. Why can't there be a job like that? And her mother, who's a physician said, well, there is a job. It's called being a lawyer. So she's, she's got that on her radar. Um, and you know, I have, I have a very eclectic group of actors and, and future lawyers and future farmers and, and they feed each other. Nice. And They, they feed me too. And that's, it, I just remember commenting to another teacher one day, they actually even pay me to do this.
0: <laughs> nice, very nice. That's yeah. that's an awesome thing because that's you know working with kids. When you got it happening, it's so cool. When it's just clicking, and you got that sort of feedback happening in there, and the interaction with each other, and and if it's inspiring you, that's you know it's it's feeling good. So
1: right, and and I think you know when when the teacher is enthusiastic, the kids can pick up on it. They can run with it too.
0: Most definitely. I One of my, just as a side note of what you were talking about at the beginning, I have one of my favorite, all-time favorite English teachers. We were colleagues. We taught together. And then down the road, I became a principal and I got a chance to, to bring her in to help us kind of, she was someone very forward thinking and could uh, get kids inspired about doing anything. I brought her in to, uh, I was able to hire her in my building and uh, she did exactly what I thought she would do which also came with, you had to you had to be careful with her because she, she could run with those in, inspiring moments and then you get the phone calls.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, I, I say that at least once a week.
0: Nice.
1: It's college class, no phone calls. And my own grandson sits in the class. So uh-huh. I, I told him one day, I said, I, I don't want your mother calling me today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. That's nice. <laughs> right. Well, so let's get into your book. Uh, Nancy, can you explain the imagery? And I know you know it's it's throughout the book so i'm asking you to shorten <laughs> this down cuz you you do a nice job of pulling it throughout the book this Im, the imagery of of the glass the stained glass the single pieces of glass broken glass and the many other references that you make to glass throughout your book called restoring the shattered illustrating christ's love through the church in one accord can you talk a little bit about the, that imagery of the glass
1: That idea came to me. It was one of those things. I had this idea when I was in grad school that I would write a paper about how you can teach English as a second language simply by teaching the game of baseball. And then I thought, that's a stupid idea. That'll be hard to write. And then I, but I had a commute of an hour and 10 minutes. So I spent an hour and 10 minutes trying to figure out how I could write. And you know, when you have succeeded in writing a paper is when the instructor asks, may he make a copy of it? And I had a similar experience with this. So this this idea came, and I could think of a million ideas why it wouldn't work. And then I began to do the research. Glass is not neither a solid nor a liquid. Well, that if we if I make a metaphor that we are like glass, then we're never really set. We're not like concrete. We're not set in stone. We are flexible, growing creatures. Not quite fluid because we pull along that solidity that's part of it with us. Uh, when you shatter glass, it breaks, but you can continually recycle glass. It doesn't degrade. And I found these ideas fascinating. And of course, the beauty of a stained glass window. And I had this idea in my mind that I did not think would make a good cover to the book because it would look a little bit like zombie person but the the image that I describe in the book is Christ with his arms out wide in a white robe receiving the bride and the bride in her white dress with places pieces of glass missing and cracks which of course is the church because we have the shattered pieces and we have the cracked pieces and we so and i also stretched the metaphor a little bit that that satan throws stones and makes the holes but he also will try to fit in plastic pieces here and there and of course when you get extreme weather the plastic will crack and break and fall out because it's not real so it it gave me the opportunity to compare the real glass to the fake glass and to to present this picture because a shattered piece of glass sitting on the ground can't really do anything. It's not useful, but a restored piece of glass, even the sand from which the glass is made, sand is sand. It gets in your shorts at the beach and it's kind of irritating actually. But when it's glass and you've put color in it and you've made it part of a picture, it can convey a story and it, it conveys light so when the light shines through it so when I look at the, each person in the church is a singular piece of glass and our our job as restored pieces of glass is to go and and fix the shattered pieces of glass not not in the sense of us singularly doing it on our own with our own effort but to walk along with people the way people walked along with me and And brought me to a restored place and and kept me on the right road as I went. So that glass can convey light, it can convey a story, and it presents the church. And we're all invited in with the framework holding us in place and allowing us to shape the picture.
0: Nice, nice. Thank you. you. And it's it's. Well done throughout it. I mean, you bring up, you find different ways of introducing the glass again, which I thought was very cool. You actually have me looking forward to the next new way that you might do it. So (laughs) so I thought that was cool. Um, You you know, early in your book, you say this Until it happened to me, I never dreamed I would be a single mother, but here I was. Rather, here we were, five children and me. What happened?
1: Well, uh, we were in this nice city neighborhood. So we live in the city of Altoona, and it's, a, it's what's called a third-class city in Pennsylvania. So um, certainly nothing like Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or Erie or Scranton, but it's just a small city and um, not quite any kind of inner city sort of thing. It was a quiet neighborhood, and we had um, family that lived next door with kids and people across the street, and it was really neat because... You know, occasionally someone would say, well, "Why did you buy that? You have all those kids, and why did you buy that house with that tiny yard?" And like, no, "My kids have a really big yard. It's the whole neighborhood. It's the, the you know the woods up behind, uh, up, up the next street, and it's just kids could run all over the hill, and it was it was a pretty safe neighborhood. It was quiet, and people were married, and it was all everybody was settled, and and suddenly I was alone, and uh, it was very difficult." Uh, at first and you know, my kids went to a Christian school and it was embarrassing and it was embarrassing at church and it was embarrassing when you ran into somebody in the grocery store. And my husband was, it basically took three years to make up his mind where he wanted to be. And I, uh, not very many people suggested to me that I should take the bull by the horns and just make the decision and cut the ties. And five kids, you know, if you can restore things, I would like to. And I also was deferring the decision. I will not be the one who makes the permanent break. Permanent break's going to happen. It's not going to be on me. And eventually that's the way it went. And I was actually relieved at that point after three years of waiting. So that becomes then a... a, very shortly, very shortly after we were our divorce became final, he remarried, and that is when the this separation now we're not we're not subject to restoration now we this is a permanent division eventually, a couple of the kids went to live with him. That is not a permanent division that's a separation, and there was even some alienation in there and um, I don't talk about that too much, but just to say that that when I get together with my husband, since I've remarried and my children, and we're all sitting around a table. Uh, one of the things that, that we did in the last few years is we found that in central Pennsylvania, you have Amish people and Amish people uh, make things and they're, they do crafts and, and they build furniture. And so we went to this uh, Amish man, my husband knew, and through his job. And we had him build us a dining room table that has 13 uh, leads. We put 30 people around it. So, five children, 10 grandchildren, the second great grandchildren on the way. When I put everybody around, when everybody's sitting around the table and we're all together, and the kids are telling stories from when they were younger and we're restored. And so, it was very difficult to live through betrayal and pain. And it, again, the embarrassment of, of feeling like, you know, I've, I've failed at marriage. And I remember uh, shortly after the separation, going to parent-teacher conferences. And your audience, I'm sure, can relate to this. So there I sit in the classroom, or yeah, in the classroom, and saying to the fourth grade teacher, I believe my oldest daughter was in fourth grade, uh, here's what's going on. And she just looked horrified and said, "You know, I've noticed that she's a little bit more subdued on the playground. So that, and me telling her, enabled her to make the connection that my child has had a big change at home, and it's changed. And it, it horrified me because now I know, okay, this is affecting her at school. This is really hammered her. So I, I let the school know, and, and as people began to know." Um, support came and not always in a sense but but when people knew my situation they understood and I explain this in the book that they saw me as the wounded party not everybody saw me that way Um, that I went to a bank once and I was a bank employee but I went to a different branch because of convenient location where I had not worked I was what's called a pool teller And I went to any of the 10 different brands. I might get a phone call in the morning, don't go here, go there. And so I got to know people throughout the banking system, but I had not worked at this office yet. I went in with one of my children and, and I was told the person behind the counter, I'm here for my food stamps. And her demeanor immediately changed to something from positive to negative. And her tone changed and I was pretty horrified. And I thought I would say something like hey I didn't choose my circumstances oh and by the way I am a fellow bank employee but I looked down at my son and I realized that he is not paying attention to her he hasn't noticed this and if I complain I'm going to draw his attention to it and I don't want to do and I even thought of sending him over to the door but of course I was afraid someone might snatch him or something so I didn't And I just walked out feeling uh, disregarded, negatively regarded. And I didn't like it. And another time, I had, when I I allowed my youngest child for his very first time, all of his siblings had been permitted to do this, and he had not yet. And it was his first chance to go into the store by himself pick something off the shelf and come and pay for it by himself this is how you do this by the way with five children you do not leave the children in the car you'll come you'll come back out to the car to chaos you do not go in and purchase and you send them in with the money and you say here bring me a donut or bring me a newspaper um one one bought the wrong newspaper once that was kind of funny but anyway uh, you know go in and buy the snack you need and he wanted to buy this for his school party so it's not only his rite of passage, it's him going and in independently doing this little activity. But all I had was food stamps. So I gave him a couple of dollars in food stamps. And he went in and he picked the cheese curls off the, the shelf, junk food. And he, this this little urchin comes up to the checkout counter and presents his bag of cheese curls and his $2 in food stamps. And I looked in and I, I'm, I'm the hovering mother here. I'm parked right outside the glass and I can see what's going on, and I see this nasty look uh, in the clerk behind the counter, He's standing there working hard while this kid on food stamps gets to come get free junk food. And I thought, you know, you don't understand, this is for his school party, this is his little rite of passage. I was tempted to get out of the car and go into this store and say, hey, you don't understand and stop looking at my kid like that. But I, again, My kid was oblivious. He's thrilled in the independence of this mature activity. That uh, you know, it doesn't take them long to realize that that's not so cool to go into the store and buy stuff anymore. But anyway, it was still cool. And um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do any harm to that. But I realized that while I was getting a lot of support in the church community and in the larger community, there were people who didn't think highly of us just because. We were collecting food stamps when they didn't know the situation. And I realized that if you don't have the kind of support that we had, and everywhere you go you get those looks and those expressions and maybe snide comments, the lady at the bank gave me, you're not going to see a way up. You're not going to see a way out of poverty. And I'm sure that, again, your audience is seeing this in the classroom with kids who don't see the, why should I work hard in school? There's no place to go for me. And and that's one of the saddest things of all. And it, I, uh, one of the things I talk about in my book is another book written by Laura Schroff, uh, The Invisible Threat. And she was a Manhattan executive walking down a street in the city one day uh, and a young a young child says to her, hey lady, you got any change? And she keeps walking, as most New Yorkers do. She made it about halfway through the intersection, and she came back. And she took him to McDonald's and bought him a meal. And she began a relationship with him that endures to this day. Mm-hmm. But the the telling thing about that was that he didn't see she would say, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? He had no idea. He would never thought about it. He, there was no reason to think about it because he didn't know. Person, he personally knew nobody who had a job. So why dream? That's the stuff for television. And, and she did things with him and invited him with her family to Thanksgiving. This is why I love my table story. We buy the table. We have the children. Everybody comes. It's wonderful. When he sat down at Thanksgiving in Connecticut with her family, it was the very first meal he had ever consumed sitting at a table. And his dream became growing up and having a family that will sit around a table and have a conversation. He became a police officer. (laughs) So it's it's a matter of filling kids with that vision as well as you can in the classroom telling them they have value and they can do something but also the willingness that we need to have as individuals laura schroff got halfway through the intersection turned around and came back and she inconvenienced herself over the years she packed him a lunch every day gave it to her doorman and on his way to school he picked it up she went to parent-teacher conferences she, it, it, the neat thing was that she did not, she had not had a pristine life. Her father had alcohol, alcoholism problems. And gr- growing up was hard for her. And she struggled in school. And what she told this kid that made so much difference was I struggled in school. She modeled it more than she told it. I struggled in school, but I made it. And he realized that just because he struggled in school, didn't have to mean that he was sentenced to this, this ghetto life of unemployment and street living. And, and it's just a beautiful story that, that shows it wasn't the parts of her life that were easy that helped her help him, it was the parts of her life that were hard that made it so much more effective. Had, had she sailed through school, It would have been very difficult for her to understand how he struggles and why he struggles aside from the obvious and but but her struggles in school led to her saying it's possible in life to overcome that and that's the kind of difference that people can make with kids and it's it's just a beautiful thing so I, I think all of my kids are living productive lives and I think that people modeling the, their productivity through our lean times, help them to say, okay, when I grow up, how do I want it to be? And through God's great provision and, and their own decision of which way should I take my life? And people have a little bit more control over that than we sometimes acknowledge, but but that's the, it was the people inconveniencing themselves being welcomed into our mess and walking with us that made all the difference.
0: That's excellent. And thank you that, you know, there are probably many uh, families and uh, individuals who can share in the memories of having to tell others that their family was no longer whole and that a piece was missing or that something had broken. Um, could you kind of, you've, you've, Kind of touched on this a little bit. Can you share a little bit more about the because we're talking about broken separation, the distance that's between that. Can you kind of bring us together with those uh, those ideas here again?
1: The brokenness and the, do you mean the difference between separation and division? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, that um, and that I look at it in a society and in a city, and I look at, for example, two different churches that. That we are all believing mostly the same thing, but we have this separation from doctrines. then there are other churches that may deny most of what we believe. That's a division, And that the division needs to be a, a permanent as long as there's a denial of, of the truth. But where there's an embrace of the truth some differences in practice and understanding that there should be a separation and we should work to overcome that separation. So when we, when we think of brokenness and we think of the, the church as this imperfect picture of Christ and then the bride and the imperfections and the brokenness there, every person is a piece of glass with cracks or with missing pieces or, or in pieces. And uh, it, it's one of the quotes that that, uh, uh, that might've touched you in the book was about how uh, parents, uh, the children are like fine glassware and that we leave fingerprints, some, some we leave fingerprints on and some, some are cracked, I think it's something like this, that we leave fingerprints on some and some are cracked, some are completely shattered. And so that the uh, delicacy of children And that nature of, uh, I don't think anybody grows up without some cracks. And I was talking to one of my, uh, with my daughter-in-law the other day. She has a a girl in eighth grade. And we were talking about the nature of eighth grade girls. And uh, how there's so much drama sometimes and there's this and that and, and it's such a big deal. And it, you know, you grow up and think it, those are the things we carry with us. Those are the smudges on the glass or the tiny cracks in the glass. And nobody escapes to adulthood without those things. There's always some sort of separation. And when you take a kid, it's kind of like, do you remember the movie inside out? Which yes. I think is very difficult (laughs) to to it's almost hard to sit through it as a teacher because what you know is what you've had sitting in front of you so many times of kids who shut down the kids who did shut down didn't come back up and imagine i imagine this child and i thought okay here she is in san francisco and she's shut down and You know, she wakes up one day, and her kid and her parents say, "Well, we're not together anymore." She's not finding joy anymore for a really long time, and and that movie is so illustrative of the whole separation and and division um, aspect of it. And many kids never get over that. And many kids, it takes them years to come to a healing. And I don't ever think it's easy for anybody. And if, if kids are in an abusive situation and the parents break up, maybe there's a great relief there, but but they still got all the, the shattering that happened from the abuse. So it's hard to say when it's ever a good thing, because if it is a good thing, then there's always other bad stuff too. So yeah, the the, the separation and division, and and we really need, to, especially today, we, we see our fellow Americans and we believe that we're so so divided. And maybe we can reach out to that neighbor who has the wrong political sign in his yard and see what his, what his need might be and see if we can't encourage him. And let him know, you know what, we don't agree on this other stuff, but you're still my neighbor come over and have a piece of pie sometime and let's talk about anything else except that <laughs> yeah. <Right. Very> good. <laughs> because talking about that will not help us, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but there's so much division and, and anger and, and we are perceiving each other to be the enemy. And if we take another hit like a nine 11 for a few more weeks, we'll see each other as as fellow Americans like we did then. And, and then it kind of all goes back to what it is. So uh, it takes, it takes somebody to reach out and say, I'm still your neighbor.
0: That's an excellent point. I mean, it's excellent. And and this theme is throughout the book and I, and I, I, you know, kudos to you for creating this theme because it's, it it is, they're still your neighbor. They're still your kid. They're still whatever. Uh And trying to bridge that, those gaps and uh, reconnect is so important. You know, the, the poverty gets very bad that you end up finding yourself in and all your kids are under the age of 14. What, what helped you escape that poverty? How, how did you get out of it?
1: Well, uh, it, it was really interesting that when we had very serious needs, and sometimes we had, we, you know, sometimes we were floating around. Everything was pretty well. It went, was going pretty well. And then other times it was bad. And, uh, occasionally, if I could let somebody know it was bad, the food would, there was, well, there was somebody who I guess surmised that it was bad. And he brought, they occasionally, just go outside and there's a box of food sitting there. And um, somebody dropped off a, a box of frozen meat one time like steak, meat you can chew. Wow, that was great. So, um, you know, there was somebody who knocked on the door once at Christmas time, handed me a Christmas uh, card and had a check inside. And so there were things like that. Now, but if you, if you stand still and your life doesn't change, then how long are people going to keep doing that for you? So after, at the end of three years, when my husband made his decision that he was going to divorce, and, divorce me and remarry, uh, my father began to encourage me to go to college. And at the same time, I met a woman at my church who was divorced, had a couple of kids, and was enrolled in college and so I went over to her house and she's telling me all of this and I began to think oh, she can do it so can I and so I mentioned it to a couple of friends of mine that here's went wow that's a really good idea and I uh, have my bank job and I wasn't really sure classes are ready to start I'm accepted what am I supposed to do and I, I called one of the managers I worked for at a different branch and real friendly guy, great boss. And I said, okay, here's my situation. What should I do? And he said, write a letter that says I can work on this day, this day, and this day every week, according to the schedule. And if that's suitable, that's terrific. And if it's not, let this serve as my notice. <laughs> okay. That's kind of scary, but it suited. And I got to work. I continued to work there for three years, as long as the the uh, person in charge was there at the end of the third year. He wasn't there anymore. And the new guy came in. And, and again, I wasn't the best bank teller there ever was. Um, I tended to transpose numbers. So I, but it, ironically, it was horrifying to not have a job anymore. And it was also, uh, it also worked out just fine. The, the church again stepped up and tried to fill the gap. We only have to get through one more year here. That's all we have to do. And and that that really helped out. It was it was just it, it was the church, but it was the community at large, as I mentioned in the book. It was uh, people people from the church, but it was people from the civic organizations that I'd worked with as well. And the encourage. It wasn't just to hear some stuff. It was hey, how's that class going? And you know, and what are you planning to do with your degree? Honestly, I didn't know. <laughs> and, uh, and I worked in radio, and now I'm a teacher. And um, it, it just wasn't, it was the walking with as much as the hear something to help you along. The, the um, you can do it. And uh, there was a, a teenager who would come and babysit for me, my best friend's daughter. She would come and babysit for me and wouldn't let me pay her more than $2. So if I had a class at night, she would come and watch the kids. So that kind of help and support. There was a gentleman. I had an accounting class that, that honestly I took because the instructor was a very popular person. I thought it would be cool to sit in the class, and I, I'm glad I took it. Now I have a child who's an accountant, so I I I know that much. But so I took this class. Well, this teacher had a study, he's not used to dealing with 30-somethings in, in school who have children at home, and he made a study session that began at 9 o'clock at night, and I had, I had a man from my church come and uh, watch my kids and, and make sure they all got to bed at a reasonable hour. I got home at 20 till midnight, because I can't have a teenager come on a school night and babysit till 20 till midnight, and so you know people did stuff like that that just made it so possible I got out of school, uh, eventually, it took me a, eh, about a month and a half to get a part-time job at a radio station that uh, turned into a full-time job eventually, um, you know, getting all the support hearings straightened out and everything, and the assistance um, managed, uh, which, by the way, that's kind of an interesting take that, and I don't know if you can sign up for this online or how you have to do your documentation today, but. Back then, you applied for food stamps here. You applied for heating assistance there. I, you know what? People who are in in this, they have a job. It's going around and accounting for you. It takes a lot of time to sit in those offices and wait and wait and wait, and then sit there and account for yourself. It it's interesting how. Uh, and again, I'm sure, I can't imagine they haven't streamlined this. Um, Back then, there uh, was—if I had gotten cash assistance, I was never able to get cash assistance because I owned the home, the leaky roof and all. And you know, it's it's kind of—I felt like it was deteriorating around me because I couldn't put any money into it. But, but I owned it, and I am going to end up with student loan debt. I can't have a lien on the house too. I'll—I'll be moving backwards if I do. So I never got cash assistance. They eventually changed that law. So, so it's interesting. The perception that if you're on welfare, that you are this, this loser person whose great grandparents, great grandparents, everybody's been on welfare. That's actually a very, very small minority of people. Most people get on assistance and they're off. And the people who are on the longest are single mothers. Uh, they're on for an average of sometimes of 12 years. Uh, but it's, it is actually a pretty small percentage typically people get on assistance and then they find their feet under them financially and they're off.
0: Yeah. The, uh, you know, one of the things, and I, and I appreciate you sharing because you, you talk about how just all these people just, you know, they did different things to try and help you. And that's, that's just awesome. The, uh, you know, one of the things that you talk about in, in the book on page 70, you comment, suffering often leads to great clarity. Could could you put this in context for listeners? I mean, there's a whole the imagery in this section is very strong, um, but can you talk about that just a little bit?
1: Sure. The the one story that I think gives me uh, the clarity is the one at the beginning of the book that um, we this is after uh, after college graduation, and I don't have a job yet, and. Honestly, I think my ex-husband thought my father was carrying us, and my father had his own financial obligations. So I didn't want to ask him for money, and and I was, I just didn't want to ask him for money. I didn't think it was there to ask for anyway. So we really had some lean days, and we start to clear out the cupboards a little bit, and we're running out of sugar and tea, and we're worse. We're running out of hot dogs and peanut butter. back then peanut butter was actually inexpensive (laughs) like today (laughs) and that's when i sat down and opened my bible and said it 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 opens to this particular page and it says there isn't any herd in the stalls there's no fruit on the vine there's no crop in the field i will rejoice anyway paraphrase and i thought oh here here i am there's No crop in the field here, and no herd in the stall, and no grapes on the vine. And okay, Lord, I rejoice. And that was the clarity moment. And when the lesson came, it came in the form of, or that was the lesson, but when the clarity came, it came in the form of a check in the mail the next day. And I get the mail, I'm thinking, okay, here's another stack of bills I can't pay. And apparently, Penn State somehow had Salvaged thirteen hundred dollars in my student loan account that somehow didn't get paid out over the course of four years and here it was here's your money Wow. and so we went to the grocery store everybody got to pay some that's the clarity moment and I thought to, you know I, I, that God brings you to a certain point teaches you the lesson and then makes he fills the need that you had that you were relying on him for so, then honestly, I had no idea. That came like a bolt out of the blue. I had, I thought we were going to have to crawl our way up the dirty hill, with, you know, under with our fingernails. And, and it, it wasn't much different from that in a sense, but, but I got to. I mean, I was getting to know bill collectors by first name. Oh, hi, it's you again. How's your month going? <laughs> so, uh, and they were, you know, hi Nancy. Hey, what's up? How much are, can you pay us this month? And what's going on? Do you have that hearing yet? So <laughs> that kind of thing. And so I, I sent everybody a check, and it yeah, that was the big turning point for me when because it never looked that bad again. So. That's that was the the clarity of um, where you are and where you can go when when it's a, a deep need that suddenly gets filled in a in a very surprising way.
0: And I think that's the you know, the key there. Just just all of a sudden here here we are and now. Good timing. <laughs> I told us to. Very good timing, and uh, it's like thank you. Um, you know, a, a theme that you share in your book is the comparison of divorce and families and separation within and between churches through disagreement and misunderstanding. And I think as as anyone reading it would see that we have this happen in our families, we have this happen in organizations. I mean, wherever there's people with different thoughts about different things, and it pulls us apart. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you learned? Lo- you've learned and what your message is that you're trying to deliver about, about that?
1: Well, that's, that's the, what happened? I'm an, I'm an evangelical Christian and one of my sons became Catholic and I had heard all of these things about what Catholics believe. And as I'm watching him go through what's called RCIA, the process of understanding the Catholic church before you become a member of it, which is probably a good idea. Well, how about this? No, that's not what we believe. Oh, well, how about this? And I realized we have a lot of distortions about each other. And then, you know, he grew up in an evangelical church, but he said, "Well, what about you know the emotional aspects at church?" And I said, "Well, there is that, but that isn't really all that there is." So you're going to realize we what we're dealing with here are are misconceptions largely. Now, there are other authentic disagreements about baptism and about communion that I would argue that plays into how we practice the faith that we have, but that the faith that we have is the same thing, largely, and very largely. So, we have the same uh, trust in, in God and his son is the Savior. So... So that that misunderstanding, and I think it's clearly in any marriage, there's always misunderstanding. Most of the conflicts that happen in marriage happen because one party misunderstands the other party or is reluctant or refusing to, un, to try to understand the other party. There are missed expectations where, where I think Valentine's Day should look like this, and you think it should look like that. Um, just a funny little aside. Uh, on my birthday one year, we went to the, back in the days when you went to the movie Rental Place, my husband took me to a really nice restaurant, and then we went over to the movie Rental Place, and he said, pick what you want to watch. Now, it's my birthday, and he's being romantic, and I picked the boys from Brazil. Do you remember that movie? Yes. Lawrence Olivier and Gregory Peck, and Hitler's been cloned 13 times all <laughs> over the world, right. and yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> My husband still does not appreciate the way that movie ended. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice.
1: And he missed expectation on his part. <laughs> and so it's kind of still this joke, The Boys from Brazil, for us. And, you know, he thought I would pick some chick flick movie. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen The Boys from Brazil in so long. Let's watch that movie. It's so good. It's Laurence <laughs> Olivier and Gregory Peck. And it's this sci-fi Hitler thriller kind of thing. Yeah. So, we also enjoyed Jojo Rabbit this year. So, um, yeah, that whole that whole thing. And, and just the idea that, well, if, you're, if you go to this church, this is what you believe, and you're wrong because we're right, so therefore I can't do any ministry with you, that's the problem. And, for example, I love this. My church next month will collect peanut butter for the St. Vincent de Paul Food Pantry, which is located right near a Catholic church. And we also collect shoes for the United Methodist Church. And I, I don't know which way they're going in the division. I, I'm not sure. But they have a virtual shoe store in their, in their uh, church building. And anybody, a low-income kid, 18 and under, can come in twice a year and get a pair of shoes and two pairs of socks. Wow, what a great ministry. So we collect shoes and socks for nice. every, every summer. It try to load their store up a little bit before back to school. So here we are as a community doing this. Two pastors in town decided, you know, we could we could see how many pastors we can get together every Sunday morning to pray for each other and to pray for our city. We'll pray for our city. We'll pray for the people who have needs in the city. And we'll pray, uh, and again, my, my interpretation of what they're doing, we'll pray for how we can fill these needs. And this is what I see them doing. So this is what? But 36. We have 36 pastors now. My pastor comes to church two Sundays ago and says, oh. Hey, that church across town, it's, you know, maybe uh, two or three miles from my church. They have a gigantic heating bill they can't pay, and they're going to have to close the church if they can't pay it. They're having spaghetti dinner. I want everybody to go to the spaghetti dinner. If you can't make the spaghetti dinner and you want to make a donation, see me. He collected $500 after the service from people who wanted to help. My husband and I went to the spaghetti dinner, and the next day, my husband, the, the pastor says, you know, They needed $6,000. They got $9,000. So they can can keep the building open. That kind of vision for our community, our communities, that's a beautiful thing. Reaching out to the food pantry, who has a different doctrine from yours. Reaching out to the shoe people, who are just doing such an important ministry. If my kids could have gotten shoes, oh my, what a load off of my mind that would have been. So... And that's a really creative cool ministry because who's low income and doesn't struggle? you know, and you're, you know, and you you can only donate sneakers because the temptation would be flip flops and think, well, kids can't really safely wear those to school. So, so that's kind of a really neat thing that they do. All kinds of creative ministries coming up in in town. Churches moving into the center city. It's, It's just exciting to see. Uh, One church uh, has what they call the Nehemiah Project. And they bought an uh, abandoned elementary school, a school that failed, uh, very low income, probably some opioid crisis going on here, kids failing the tests. They closed the school and they redistributed the children across town. Uh, Things like that might happen in in some school districts uh, that your listeners are involved with. So uh, essentially, everybody's test scores aren't all going to get that. There isn't one place where all the test scores are going to go up. Well, what a great place to put a ministry. And again, to lift people up and to tell kids, oh, you struggle in school and you've got these challenges at home. Well, let's see what we can do. And they're, they're, uh, they they're have did a feeding program last summer. They're working to, they're trying to gear up a, uh, a, an after-school program. It's a terrific place to put ministry. So churches reaching out, helping And to have the different churches walk with each other, to have people say, "I can walk into your mess and walk with it, you know, with it, with you through it." That that that's beautiful. First of all, it's the vision of Christ. It's us letting the light shine through the glass that we are, and it makes a difference. It 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 fills people up and it lifts them up and it improves our community because some of those kids who were growing up in these situations may grow up and get a job. It happened. It, well, it hasn't happened yet. This boy still not grown up. But my, my son-in-law used to get so irritated with this kid because he used to say, well, I don't need to work hard in school. My dad says I can just grow up and just get on welfare and wait for the check to come. Oh, that irritated my son-in-law. There was a woman at church who decided she would love this child. And this child, occasionally, I guess he had some hard times at home. He he would call her in the middle of the night, wake her up. And she had a special needs child. She's homeschooling. She had she had her own stuff. She loved that boy. And eventually he came around to the idea of I could be a productive person in the world. And the last I heard, his father was going to church with him. So you, you don't know what you might do to change someone's life and eternity. Just by reaching out and saying, you know, I'll be there for you. Here's my phone number. Call me 24 7. I don't care. That's fine. And she did. And wow, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. When, When the rest of us might have been standing around saying, that's a situation that will never fix itself, she figured out how to fix it. And she didn't even know that's what she was doing. She was just loving him. It was beautiful.
0: That's, that's awesome. I mean, it's just, and it's all the power of you know, the stories and the, the connections that you make in your book about bringing us together, you know, in, in one accord is so, you know, I love it. And the imagery that you use to make these connections, you know, it's, I, I said this at the beginning that one of the things that I think is so cool is that because you're, you don't tell your early story all in one place, you spread it out through the book and then you, you connect the things that separate the church and bring them together and so forth throughout there as well. And I, and I love the, that style, the way you did that. Because that, Thank you. There's that was, that was a neat way of doing that.
1: Thank you. I, I wanted to point out the, the differences that, that we perceive that aren't real, the differences that we do perceive that are real. And I also wanted to say if you're, if you're ready to walk into ministry with somebody here's what really works. Here's what really makes a difference. Here's what isn't so effective or actually even is harmful. And um, I use the example of um, my husband went on a mission trip to Mexico and the sending organization decided that, well, this is a poor place in Mexico, so they probably don't have cement trucks. So you guys have to take wheelbarrows in and mix your own cement and all this stuff. And they were doing that as cement trucks were buzzing past them and nationals are standing around laughing at them. Mm-hmm. And a few years later, I don't know if they switched organizations. I have no idea. But a few years later, they go back to Mexico. And in January, we began to hear about the family we're building a house for. And the, the ladies at the church, uh, some of the ladies got together and made quilts so it, and, and sewed the name of every family member into the quilt. So so when our team went down, their team of teenagers goes down there to build this house. They're taking all this stuff with them. And so basically presents that acknowledge the individuality of in each one of the people. And what they do every year now, and it's one of the most beautiful moments when they've built the house and they had the person who's the, the woman who's going to leave this home, she's been cooking meals for them. She's been, the, the people in the family who can are working beside these kids and everyone stands in a circle, and they pass this, they, they pass the key of, to the door of the house from hand to hand to hand to hand to hand until it lands in the hand of the new
0: homeowner. Wow! Wow! And,
1: and can you imagine being 16 years old and going on your first mission trip. No. And see, see, yeah, there you go. And we had a boy this year. He was is a junior in high school, a, now a senior. So he spent his summer ten weeks. He did 10 weeks. He built 10 houses. Wow. So he was kind of like a senior counselor person on uh, managing, helping to manage these trips throughout the summer. And how's that not going to help shape your soul and set you up to do whatever I, when you see kids doing that and you say, okay, now again, the beauty of teaching Especially when you have Facebook, and you can keep track of some of these kids, which I understand some people aren't allowed to join Facebook with but but former students, et cetera, et cetera so it's it's really neat to for me to watch these kids get married and have kids and and there's a girl that I That was in my. We had discipleship groups at one school where I taught. This girl was in my discipleship group, and she was on the mock trial team. And she was one of the sweetest souls ever. And she came from a life of most unspeakable trauma that you will ever see in any classroom. This, it was the story is unbelievable. And she's preparing for a life. She's preparing at least for a stint as a missionary now. And you know the kids you worry, about. it's amazing to me sometimes the kids you don't worry about that you should have. <laughs> right, right. And then <laughs> and then the kids that you thought, oh, and wow, and
0: they work it out. And
1: I, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's exciting to see. And as a, you know, what I learned from that, um, I, honestly, I remember thinking, you know, this one kid had some behavior problems, and why is he still here? Because it's a private school, and it doesn't have to. And the principal kept saying, I'm "Gonna invest in him." I'm gonna wow, did that pay off? He's, in a, he's a Marine today. Nice. <laughs> and yeah, and he's, he's solid and he's healthy and that mentoring paid off. And, so that, and that is the hard part. There are times when the discipline has to happen and, and the division has to happen when they're doing harm to other people, for example. But, but as long as you can hang in there with them, you can make a difference. So much. When fun. I got when I got the email from the student one time who said, You're the only teacher who taught me a skill I use every day. I had no idea that <laughs> that I was doing that. Cool. And yeah, so yeah, that's it's it's a beautiful way. And and just but just to watch their characters blossom when you weren't really sure that was going to happen, it's worth hanging in to see that kind of stuff happen.
0: Most definitely. Most definitely. So we're, we're going to kind of wrap up now. And, and Nancy, before we go, if someone would wanted to connect further with you, where would you send them?
1: Well, my email is Nancy e. Head at Nancy e. Head at Yahoo.com. And I have nancyehead.com. So there's the, I think there's a the means to communicate with me that way. And certainly just to leave a comment and, um, the book is on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, but uh, through email, or through uh, uh, Facebook, um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Nancy E. Head.
0: Excellent, and I will put all those in the those links in the show notes, as well as the uh, uh, your email and such, and, uh, and the Thank website you. address. So, so cool. Terrific. So I got two questions for you to end up with. And okay. First one goes like this. If you had the chance to talk with an audience of parents who are struggling with keeping their families together, what is one thing that you would want to say to them?
1: I would suggest that they look out in within their community at somebody who was and not not from a distance but up close. See if you can find somebody within your realm who is successfully keeping their family together. That, I mentioned my friend who was a single mother also who went to college, and I said, if she can do it, I can do it. The two friends that I had that made so much difference for me were married. And it didn't matter that I was going this way in life and their lives were going a better path, a different path, not always an easier path. One of my friends dealt with her husband having a chronic illness. She was the main breadmaker, breadwinner of the family. Uh, mix my metaphors here, late in the game. <laughs> uh, she's the main, main breadwinner here in the family, and she really carried a lot on her. There was a time when our state shut down. She's a state employee who worked for a local legislature. When Pennsylvania, if you don't have a budget in, in, uh, by June 30th, nobody gets paid kind of like a federal government shutdown only your social securities checks still go out she wasn't getting paid six weeks her husband is chronically ill hmm. he i don't remember if he was unemployed at the time or what the deal was they were still trying to figure out what his illness was and that so i wasn't the only one hurting so the married couples so I, I i went over to my friend other friend's house one uh one night to get my wedding dress she's going to pin the hem on my wedding dress. And, of course, I was excited. The wedding's coming up. And I didn't want to do that task alone. And I knew that she would know how to do it. And I showed up on the evening that she's having some conflict with her husband. And she has the pins in her mouth saying, are you sure? Are you sure you really still want to do this? (laughs) (laughs) And that reality that they gave me and the example that both couples still together and lo these, oh, Well, the one couple just celebrated their 40th anniversary last summer. And I think everybody's, the other couple's probably working on 45. So hang around with people who are keeping it together. Find out what their reality is, because their reality will not be dancing in the daisies. Their reality will be the real stuff of every day that we're all going through. And the the difference is, are you going to hang in there through that stuff? And you need both people to say, I'm willing to hang in here through the stuff. And so that's what I would recommend, though. Get good friends who are really successful in their lives, but then make sure that you're looking for that real part that, that says, yeah, it's hard. Now we're doing it anyway. And we're going to keep doing it. I loved my grandson's wedding, of course. What I loved about it was the, the acknowledgement more than once that what we're entering into is something that's going to be difficult. And we stand here acknowledging that this will be difficult, and we commit ourselves to walking through those difficulties together. Um, I loved going to a former student's wedding in Russian, and we had translators, and it's just a beautiful thing. They made the vows, and then they both got down on their knees, and into a microphone, they are praying, and I'm getting the translation, God, help me keep the vow I just made.
0: Excellent.
1: Well, there's an extra layer of seriousness on that. Yes. So, yeah, that whole, so, so hang out with other people who, who are doing it and keep walking through the hard stuff.
0: Excellent. Awesome advice. So last question, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? And if so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, thank you?
1: Several people come through my mind, but one it was a colleague. He was my teacher. I came very close to getting a minor in philosophy, which my brother told me that that and five dollars would get me a <laughs> cup of coffee, uh, but I loved this teacher. His worldview was completely the opposite of mine. Mine was completely the opposite of his. We liked each other anyway. He encouraged me. I mean, he, he gave me some personal advice at, at one point in time about basically encouraging me to go to court to pursue the child support. Um, he passed away very suddenly, uh, almost two years ago. And every there are very few times that I, there are very many times when I walk into the, this particular building where I teach and say, I miss him. I still miss him. He encouraged me, knowing I was going to take off in life, not following his worldview. Hmm. And we just liked each other. And he even said to me one time, "I'm not really sure why I'm encouraging you in this," because <laughs> <So, laughs> he disagreed with it. But he, he was such a teacher, as such that he that he encouraged me anyway. And I just, you know, there was there are others there too. I I. It was just so sad to lose him so suddenly, and to to miss the encouragement that he still gave me. We sat down a, a day after Election Day, and when a lot of you know the the division that we talked about, we sat down and we talked about it. We shared a couple of laughs, which most people in the country weren't doing in 2016. So, it, and I honestly had had not picked a side in that one and, and went with a right. In I'll be full disclosure there. Um, but it was it was an interesting election, and it was interesting to talk to somebody who also found it interesting and not emotionally disturbing. And, <laughs> and it, so there's just so many ways. But um, his his analysis of my work, uh, his teaching that I still teach, uh, you know, I, I still teach Plato's Cave and and things to, to kids, and you know how you can apply that to a work of literature and things like the thing that the gifts that the man gave me are things that I carry and pass on to other people. And that's, the, again, we, as a teacher, you don't ever know the gift that you give somebody else that they're going to carry on. And give. Like the girl who emailed me and said, you're the only teacher who taught me something I use every day.
0: Wow.
1: She said, you know what? It, it's, and it's a listing of different ways to start sentences and ways to vary your, your prose to make it interesting. She said, you know what? I've forgotten what the sixth one was. Can you tell me what it is? I want to <laughs> teach my little sister how to do this. Wow, that's and again, so that's the gift I gave that she's given nice. somebody else and and maybe that's a skill the sister's going to use every day of her life and and the, you it's like dropping a stone in the water and you watch the ripples go on, but you can never know how far those ripples are going to go and when they're going to end if they'll ever end. It's beautiful.
0: Very cool. Thank <laughs> you. Very cool. That's and it is that you just never know. I, I like the analogy, the, the ripples, how far they'll go. You don't know. And one day they might let you in. And that's a cool yeah. when that happens. So yeah, very nice. Nancy, thank you so much for sharing your story and your book, Restoring the Shattered, Illustrating Christ's Love Through the Church in One Accord. It's a powerful book, you know, and many lessons to be learned from your words. And I thank you and wishing you the best in all that you do. I wish
1: you the best too. This has been delightful.
0: Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators.